Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today, because we're going to be talking about something I deeply appreciate, the apostolic exhortation of St. John Paul II that was entitled, The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. It was written in November of 1981. That means we're at the 40th anniversary of this very priceless gift to the Catholic Church and to the world. And I would just say by way of personal testimony, this apostolic exhortation was my gateway to the Catholic Church. It was because of this particular apostolic exhortation that really started opening my minds to the truthfulness of the Catholic faith in that it stood for what Jesus stood for, for marriage, and it brought it forward in the modern world in the person of a pope, and I saw that the truth that John Paul II was proclaiming was simply a reverberation of the words of Jesus that were kept by the early church fathers, the church through the ages, and brought into the modern world. So, uh, in case you haven't guessed, I like this, the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And I'd like to share with you again the second part of that title, the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And there's a, a bit of a debate going on by some, feeling that John Paul II's apostolic exhortation is somewhat out of date. And I am trying to build the case today that is actually a prophetic and timely message for the modern world, including the one that we are living in. And I shared with you last week, there are two ways that Christian leaders and denominations and various Christian groups, including the Catholic Church, approach the method of reaching the modern world. Times have changed, and so what do we do as we're losing a Christian culture? Do we as a church accommodate ourselves to a changing non-Christian culture, and do we basically conform our moral teaching to what the culture is doing, or vice versa? And uh, actually, I made a mistake last, last episode. I picked on the Anglicans because I thought they were the most uh, inclined to adapt to whatever the culture is doing. And actually, I found that uh, the Presbyterians, the mainline Presbyterians, have lost so many people. And I know all the mainline Protestant denominations are accommodating to culture. And the mainline Presbyterians, and I grew up a mainline Presbyterian, they lost 40% of their membership between 2009 and 2020. Phenomenal loss. And I myself, after I had a conversion experience in the Navy as a young adult, my inclination was to go back to my church, my mainline Presbyterian church, but I didn't stay. I basically entered the evangelical world, eventually becoming an evangelical Presbyterian minister. 
So it didn't have the sticking power for me, even after I had a conversion experience and I was looking to live a very active life in the church, I just basically left the main lines behind. And this is what happens when you accommodate or try to accommodate the Christian faith to a non-Christian culture, you end up getting left behind. In fact, a very wise man once said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. So, and I realize there's many people in the mainline Protestant denominations, including many leaders in the Catholic Church today, who may be motivated by what they conceive as a charitable approach to try to reach people. It's getting tough to reach people in a non-Christian culture, so is it an act of charity to try to water down the Christian faith? Well, actually, it ends up just uh, shrinking uh, the very people and, and basically repelling the very people you're trying to attract. Uh, I'm an advocate, and I think Jesus is, because he was that very smart man I just quoted from. That was from the Sermon on the Mount. The John Paul II way, the Jesus way, it is countercultural, but it is what tr attracts people because it has that ring of truth. And specifically, uh, in the role of the Christian family in a modern world, I highlighted last episode section 84, which is a very contentious uh, section because the new uh, apostolic exhortation on marriage and family life, Amoris Laetitia, basically takes a different road, kind of in a sneaky way through a footnote, but nonetheless, there's a reason why, a very practical reason why you need to heed what John Paul II is teaching. And I'm going to repeat what he says at the end of section 84. Besides this, there is another special pastoral reason, a practical reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the people who are unlawfully remarried from a valid marriage, if they were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error and confusion regarding the church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. And, and I am going to try to make the case before we're done in this episode today that even though you may be trying to uh, act out of charity to reach people in irregular marital situations, that if you try to conform to the non-Christian culture we're living in, you'll end up hurting people, not helping people. And that's the case I want to make today. But first, the question, this is what I would ask, and I know I'm prejudiced because, again, this apostolic exhortation opened the door for me to enter the Catholic Church. But my question is, why would anyone want to change the relevant, wise, charitable, historical, and balanced practices as put forth by John Paul II in 1981. Now, I realize what people are going to say. In fact, it has been said, well, the role of the Christian family is out of date. It's, it's 40 years old, and 
there's been a dramatic rise in the rates of divorce and remarriage since then. So uh, we need to look for something newer and more relevant. And actually, that claim, which is made by Catholics, some Catholics, is wrong. It is dead wrong for two reasons. First, this teaching in the role of the Christian family in a modern world is timeless. And the reason it's timeless, it's, it's not a novelty. You don't need novelties. The historic Catholic faith, and along with this, this apostolic exhortation, it was the church fathers. It's seeing that there's a continuity in the current teaching of the Catholic Church and the catechism of the Catholic Church with the early church fathers. This was such a revelation. And what John Paul II is saying in, in this apostolic exhortation isn't just timely, it's timeless because it's based on the historic Catholic faith. Now, the claim that marriage and divorce and remarriage has gotten significantly worse since St. John Paul II wrote this apostolic exhortation is entirely, completely, and utterly false. Making such a claim, people absolutely do not have any idea of what they're talking about, and here's why. America, uh, if you list the most divorce-prone countries in the world, uh, we're always in the top 20. Uh, among the top 20, we might vary a little bit of where we fall out in that. But what you can take, in other words, what's coming in the United States as the uh, picture of the worst situation regarding divorces going on in the modern world. Now, during the 19th century, divorce was relatively rare in the United States, and it stayed under... Uh, a, a ratio of 3,000 divorces, excuse me, three divorces per thousand marriages until the 1960s. Uh, there was one blip up, and that was right after World War II. And uh, I've often thought my own dad, who saw some fairly intense combat situations in World War II, he and other men came back and, um, you know, put on a business suit, started a family and went to work. Nobody knew anything about PTSD. Nobody knew about how do you handle. Uh, you have to decompress this type of things. And it was very hard on marriages. So uh, there was a spike in divorces uh, following World War II. And then it kind of normalized. It went back down to an average rate until the 1960s. And 1960s, particularly as you hit the mid-1960s, you had no-fault divorce legislation spreading around the country, and the pill was widely accepted. And I'm looking at a graph. I wish I, <laughs> I could show it to you. But starting in the 60s, particularly the mid-60s, the graph, which is kind of going along and bumping along in a fairly straight line, starts skyrocketing. And I mean skyrocketing. And from the mid-60s to the 70s, it skyrocks. And from the 70s to 1980, it's almost straight up to the upper edge of the graph. Now, the 
divorce rate in America peaked in 1981. Now, just give me a second. I want to go back and just take a look. Let's see. When exactly did John Paul II write this thing? It was 1981. The very moment in our history when the divorce rate peaked, its skyrocketing peak was in 1981. You see, to me... You know, you can go to Matthew 16 and talk about Petra and Petras and and what the Aramaic word is instead of Peter and all. But to me, this is the Pope. This is God moving the rock underneath marriage in the modern world at the very worst moment in our history. Because what happened after 1981? Well, after 1981, the peak was hit. That's the very year St. John Paul II wrote this apostolic exhortation. The divorce rate in the United States has been declining, declining ever since. And it has dropped 44.2% over the last 40 years. So somebody's saying this is out of date because things, as far as divorce has gotten so much worse, have no idea what they're talking about. And you hear you know, commentators and progressives and all this saying we need to ditch what John Paul II said about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. No, I submit to you, this is papal teaching in the most timely manner imaginable, okay? So (laughs) this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is the successor of St. Peter bringing forward the truth about marriage to the modern world, and rather than calling it out of date, I think a good description of it would be prophetic and timely. And so, right in this document, section 20, St. John Paul II says, to bear witness to the inestimable value of the indissolubility and fidelity of marriage is one of the most precious and most urgent tasks of Christian couples in our time. Now, I know what folks are going to say when they hear something like this. People in today's world can't take this truth. Now, I disagree. All right, let me tell you about a men's conference, and I won't say where, but I've had some pretty discouraging experiences at men's conferences because one of the things I tell men, because a lot of guys just come there wanting to be a better dad, and I share with them the key to fatherhood. The first key to fatherhood is keeping a strong marriage because if your marriage goes, you may even be living in a different location than where your children live. And so, I have been to men's conferences where I have been asked not to talk about marriage because they don't want people to feel bad. Now, I always talk about, hey, a lot of people have experienced a divorce through no fault of their own and even through a fault in their own. We all make bad decisions. We all do things that we are disappointed in ourselves for doing, and yet um, 
we, we want to acknowledge grace to those people. And again, that's what John Paul II does in sections 82 and 83 of the role of Christian family in a modern world before he says, stay married, okay? And you don't give the Eucharist to those who are unlawfully remarried. So that's the approach, but even with that, uh, I've been asked not to talk about marriage, and I, <laughs> I don't sign up for that, sorry. Uh, but let me give you an example of what's happening, because uh, some Catholic men's groups are really little boys' clubs, because the men are treated like little boys. They can't handle the truth. Let me take you, I'm just kind of going back in time here, I was in a conference, and we would have these uh, eight commitments of St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers. And those eight commitments included avoiding the use of birth control because of its threat to marriages and, and the resulting skyrocketing divorce rates where it's accepted. And then we also talk about the indecisibility of marriage. Marriage is a key to fatherhood and go through this. Well, one of the conference organizers, even though I asked him explicitly not to do this, he said, Steve, I want you to grow as fast as some of these evangelical men's groups. So I've revised your commitments, and lo and behold, what a surprise. The indissolubility of marriage was left out, and the idea of avoiding birth control was left out. And he passed this out to everybody before the lunch break. While I was sitting down, I got right back up, and I said, men, I have to look at myself in the mirror tomorrow morning when I shave. And when I do, I don't want to have to glance away from my countenance because I ditched the truth. I came here to speak truth, and here's the truth. And basically <laughs> laid it into them for the welfare of their kids, even if they're going through a tough patch in their marriage, to stay married. And then I talk about what birth control does to marriages and everything else. You know what happened? And I dare say, I'm just guessing, but easily two-thirds of the guys there were probably using birth control in their marriages. But even yet, when I stood up and said that, and they knew what was going on there, somebody was giving the easy road, the cultural accommodation road, and I was trying to give truth because I really did care about their marriage and family life. These guys, to the man, stood up and gave me a standing ovation. Now, you're saying people can't hear this today. No, they can't hear the wishy-washy, little, weak, wet noodle approach to truth. But if you give them truth, people recognize that there's something to it. It rings deep because truth is God's truth, and it finds a place in a human heart. So I got to get to the practical value of all this. Okay. There is tremendous practical pastoral value in emphasizing the indissolubility of marriage as this apostolic exhortation does. It clearly stands up for this. Now, let me ask you, and this is from a divorce attorney's research, but guess what are the twin leading causes of divorce? And this is responses from people who have been divorced, okay? Well, the top two, number coming in at number two, is infidelity. And um, this is one of the things I share in men's conferences. You know, if you really want to 
put a dent in your fatherhood and you want to ruin your marriage, infidelity is the way to go and any of the steps leading up to it. And 88.8% of those who have been divorced mentioned infidelity as the major uh, contributing factor to their divorce. But there was one item that was even worse to a marriage than infidelity. You think, oh, I mean, and, and honestly, um, I've seen guys who have been um, otherwise great Catholic husbands and fathers, and then they uh, unwisely get themselves involved in an affair, and it's extremely difficult, not impossible, but it's extremely difficult to bring healing to that marriage. And yet there's one worse, and that is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment was mentioned by 94.4% of those surveyed who had been divorced as the major cause of their divorce, even worse than infidelity, which came in at 88%. Now, why is that? Well, marriage researchers have found out (laughs) that you need a total, unconditional, lifelong commitment to have a successful long-term marriage. And this wholehearted investment in a marriage followed the total commitment. So imagine the total commitment is like opening the bank account Okay, and you deposit things you give of yourself into that account if you have the total commitment. Otherwise, it's kind of like this 50-50 thing and you kind of go back and forth and fearing betrayal, uh, fearing uh, a spouse might leave in the future for whatever reason and file for divorce. Well, then trust is held back. And if you don't have the total commitment and the trust overflowing from that, you have a weak marriage. And that's one reason why cohabitation is not a good idea, because you're actually forming a union without a commitment. And that's why those marriages tend to be weaker. And so you don't want to do anything that would weaken a commitment. And when you're coming to marriage and you're coming to marriage in in the Catholic Church and you hear that this marriage, this sacramental marriage is indissoluble. It's lifelong without condition. That that is actually the foundation of a successful, long-term, happy marriage. Now, people are going to say, well, (laughs) marriage is lifelong, is happy. Well, that's true. All marriages go through ups and downs, but the majority of divorces are unnecessary in that they are from what's called a low-stress marriage. Nobody's being beaten up. There's no black eyes. Nobody's being harmed or physically threatened. It's just the stresses that all marriages go through, particularly in the first half dozen years or so of a marriage. And yet statistics show that 86% of those who rated their marriages unhappy but stayed married. And this this included people who got counseling, who didn't get counseling, who uh, availed themselves of their pastor's assistance, and those who didn't. 86% of those who rated their marriages unhappy but yet stayed married, 
persevered. They had a commitment that was the basis to invest even when the situation wasn't happy. Five years later, it says their marriages were happier. Ah, but you say, what about those who are unhappy in their marriage? Well, the same survey said that 77% of couples who described their marriage as very unhappy but stayed married for five years, five years later, they described their marriage either as very happy or quite happy. You see what happens when you have the commitment based on the truth of indissolubility and you reflect that in the church, in its teaching, in its practices, you're helping couples maintain charity. It's the most charitable thing in the world to proclaim indissolubility. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about marital commitment, Scott Stanley, who's one of the founders of the PREP, P-R-E-P, communication uh, technique, which is very valuable in preventing divorces, wrote a book entitled The Heart of Commitment. And it describes how commitment is the glue they, the research has found this is the ultimate glue to hold marriages together, and that commitment is based on the unconditional commitment to an indissoluble marriage until death do us part. Now, if you're interested, read Scott Stanley's book, The Heart of Commitment, after, after you read The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World by St. John Paul II. And the next time you read an article or hear somebody mouth off that it's out of date, we need something new and updated, no, I'm afraid this is in the midst of the worst situation marriage has gone through in the entire history of the United States. And the very exact year that crisis hit its peak, The Rock, St. John Paul II, spoke Nothing novel, nothing new. And see, that's the solution. You want something tested by 20 centuries of Catholic truth. He brought it forward to the modern world. It wasn't modern teaching. It was ancient teaching given to the modern world in ways it could understand and accept, and the church hopefully promote it. And this is the basis from which marriage will survive. If it survives in the modern world, it will by, be by heeding what John Paul II said. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 262 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.